everybody. Welcome back to another new episode of the Balance Factor podcast. My name is Emily. I am your host, and this is the show where I help you understand the complexities of human health and well-being. Wow, can you guys believe that it is literally almost the end of this year? It is absolutely insane. Where is time gone? I cannot believe we are getting into 2023. Like that just sounds absolutely absurd to me. So I hope you guys are enjoying this month of December. I know it can be a busy month for many, whether that's with school or holiday parties, big deadlines at work. It's just a busy time. So just make sure you're taking care of yourself and take the time that you need to reset, regroup, and take care of your mind and body. With that said, for today's episode, we are going to be talking all about managing relationships during the holidays. As you know, the holidays is a time where we see other people, we get to get-togethers, we go to events, But with that can come with a lot of challenges in terms of managing relationships. And that can be relationships with your significant other, your sisters, your brothers, your aunts, your uncles, your parents, anyone who is in immediate contact with you. And you may be put in a situation where you haven't seen someone in a long time and things can be uncomfortable or situations can be tense with family drama There's so many different scenarios and situations that you may experience during the holidays and I wanted to do an episode specifically towards this so that it provides you with some tools and guidance as we near the end of December and come together with people we have relationships with. And to talk about this subject, we have a special guest on today's episode. It is Dr. Amber Dawson. She is a registered psychologist, speaker, author, and the host of the Relationship Psych podcast. She's phenomenal and has an amazing insight on managing relationships. So her and I dive deep into this topic. We cover so many things. And regardless if you're listening to this episode and it's not the holiday season, this will be extremely beneficial to any situation where you may be going over to your partner's family and you're put in a situation that you may not feel the most grounded and concrete or you go home for the holidays from university and you're now being thrown into an environment where you feel like a child again yet you've had all this independence there's so many different scenarios and we cover them all so I I think anyone of any age group or any demographic will really benefit from this episode And before we dive into it, we have to do the last weekly favorite of the entire year. So for this week, my favorite has been a soup recipe, which I got from Monica from Ambitious Kitchen. She is my favorite social media recipe blogger. I absolutely love her stuff. She always does modifications for whether you need like a gluten-free or a dairy-free alternative. So I last week made her recipe, which was mini turkey meatball and orzo soup. I subbed the orzo for brown rice and guys, it was phenomenal. It was like a hug in a bowl. It was so cozy, so warm and very fulfilling. You know when you sometimes have soup and it's not it doesn't fill you up enough or like it fills you up in the moment and an hour later you want something more. No, this soup ties you over, which I love because there's so many nutrients and good value to it. So if you're looking for a new recipe, I would highly recommend checking out her stuff just in general. It's amazing. And aside from the soup, I think it's time we get into our last episode of the year. So please welcome to the show, Dr. Amber Dalson. (laughs) 
your work around relationships and managing them and how to work with other people to be happy for both individuals involved. We'd love to hear your story and how you focus your work in this area and what you really do in your practice. Yeah, so thanks for having me on. Um, I am a psychologist and couples therapist. You know, my journey to get here you know, I joke sometimes when people are like, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I was like, me either. My parents told me if I didn't go to school, they were going to sell my car. So I decided to go to school and went into psychology. When I got into psychology, I had no idea what it was. I just thought it sounded cool and like heard people did that. Um, so it wasn't like a plan from the get go. But uh, what happened early, shortly thereafter, kind of going into school is um, my sibling was a drug addict from a very young age and uh, we struggled with that in my family, but I thought I was like unaffected and it wasn't a problem for me. I thought whatever. Um, but when I was uh, partway through my degree in psychology, my, my brother went into um, long-term uh, treatment center. And if you lived in the family home, you had to participate about 12 hours a week as well. And I still lived in the family home. So I participated for nine months in my own treatment for family addiction um, for about yeah nine months, 12 hours a week. And really got into, you know, I went in thinking there was nothing wrong with me. This didn't affect me and realized, holy crap, my entire life had been affected by addiction and uh, my family system. So from there, started uh, working at that treatment center later on and went and got my master's in marriage and family therapy. And so why I went into that field is I, when I came to understand how my family was affected by our systems, the little things we did by addiction, I really was passionate about helping uh, other families with that. Then I got married got divorced 10 months later and thought, holy crap, I don't know how to have relationships. Um, and I went back to the research on relationships and thought, okay, I was clearly really impacted by my family growing up. I didn't have a great model for what I want a marriage to look like. I had great parents, but they did the best they could with what they had. And we had a family system, you know, young, young addict since the age he was 13. Like it's really, you're just growing up. Our family system was a bit confusing. So I thought I needed new models. Like I needed to hit the research to figure out, okay, well, how do I have a relationship that's going to last? Clearly, I don't know how to do that. So I figured if I already had a master's degree in marriage and family therapy, and I didn't really know how to have a great relationship, maybe there's other people that felt the same way that they struggled in relationships too. And I found it confusing a lot of the time to go to the research and pull out some of that bite-sized data for what was going to be useful. And then like, what of that research do you actually implement that's going to be helpful? So today I'm very happily married to someone and he's like the love of my life. And we have this really great relationship, but it took work to get here. And because I know how hard it is sometimes it's easy to fall in love, but to yeah. keep love and to have a great relationship like that is effortful and it takes some work. And so I wanted to be able to create um, a platform to help people give them little tidbits, bite-sized pieces that they can take or, or leave um, and really be able to give people the tools and the resources to have the great relationships that we want, because it's not like Disney. It's not like, and then you are happily ever after and you ride off into the sunset and everything is perfect. I mean, I wish it was like that. We get all these unhelpful messages. Like if, if it's love, then it should just be enough, but it's not right. So I yeah. want to be able to help people get the love that it was easy to create and then create that into something loving and long lasting that can withstand the test of time where you're actually happy. So that's my story, how I got here. And then my platform is all about helping couples to communicate, helping them create the peaceful, loving, long lasting relationships that, you know, we see on TV that we want. Yeah. I think that's such a unique story. And I, I love when I hear of professionals that have a unique um, personal story and it drives to what they do. Cause I think it really 
motivates people and you can tell the message behind their work stems from something and you can tell that with your work. And I think it's also important what you said there about, you know, all these Disney things we see with falling in love and things like that, especially somebody who's young in their 20s. We often see, you know, as we move older, we think that everything just happens and it's just the way life is supposed to be, but that's not life. And as you said, there's work and there's things all involved in that. So on the topic of work, we are entering this holiday season and with that can come a lot of conflicts and difficulties, especially with relationships and family dynamics. I first want to touch on with you the on the topic of expectations, because this is something many of us experience, whether that's with giving gifts to other people or expectations to be present at certain events. Say you're in a relationship with a partner and they want you present with one parent and they want you present with your other parents. What would you suggest, and we can discuss this a bit, on the best way to manage and cope with expectations and really dive into a way to make it not an even playing field, but allow both people in the relationship to feel heard and make everyone happy in the end? Yeah. Uh, Well, it can be hard around the holiday season. So when it comes to expectations, we all have them. Even if you're like, I don't have expectations your expectation then is like maybe to go with the flow or that you can just roll with the punches. Like we all have an expectation of air quotes, how we think it should go. And so the first step, if you're like, Oh, expectations, it's to go inward and ask yourself, like, what are my expectations? Cause your expectations can't be met if you don't first know what they are. And then two, this is a hard one, articulate them in a kind, gentle way to other people. So we also can get really easily caught up in the myth. Like if they love me, they should know what I need. And then if they love me, they should know what I need and always meet it, which isn't accurate. Like that's your partner isn't a mind reader. Um, They're born like we, here's the thing. We all come from different families, different beliefs, different values, different expectations that come from our lived experience. And so even if you, your partner agree on so many things, you're going to have different expectations. Sometimes you're going to have different needs. And so the first steps to having your expectations met are examining what they are and figuring out how to communicate them. Now, the holidays are very symbolic to people. They have deep meaning for us. Um, The holidays are often a time of family gathering, or maybe they're a painful time of loss, a reminder of something you don't have, a reminder of something that maybe didn't happen for you and you wish happened. And so the holidays can be deeply joyful or deeply painful and everything in between. And I think it's really important when we're talking about our expectations, like say we're, say you're stuck on an expectation with your partner and you're kind of like digging in your heels. You have different, you have beliefs and values and opposition to each other around the topic. If you can to pause and step out of trying to meet each other's expectations in that moment. And what you want to do is go a little bit deeper and try to understand the meaning that that expectation has to each of you. Because anytime we find ourselves deeply entrenched in like a rigid position, something we really want to go our way, chances are you really care about that for some reason. And we want to talk about, give both people an opportunity to talk about how come that matters? How come it's important to you? Like, what is the backstory on that? Because if it, if we have a strong position, that's a good, really solid indicator. There's backstory, a backstory that really matters. Yeah, there's always something deeper behind what the actual problem is and going deep and digging through those layers to figure out 
why is this expectation or why is this occurring is really essential to communicating and figuring out those problems. And I have a question in regards to articulating your expectations. Mm. Many people struggle with, I even know for myself, articulating how I'm feeling without coming across like feeling, even with myself, feeling selfish or feeling like I'm being overpowering or overstepping somebody's toes. What are the best communication styles in terms of articulating those expectations so that it doesn't come across the wrong way? Inherently needs are selfish. They're about your self and that's okay. Like uh, it's fine to have selfish needs. And I think that's one thing for us to wrap our heads around. Like we are all inherently a little selfish. That's okay. It is okay to be selfish. It is part of getting your needs met. It gets a bad rap, but it's fine. So yeah, that might take some extra work, but it is fine to be selfish. Now that doesn't mean that within relationship though, all your needs will always be met. That doesn't mean that you're never gonna have to deal with disappointment. You're going to, but it's okay to express your need and see if it can be met where maybe selfishness becomes problematic. Cause if we think we have to get our way 100% of the time, like that's not going to be realistic, but it is okay to have selfish needs. So the thing about being in a relationship with another person, being in relationships is sometimes we have to sacrifice for the shared well-being of a relationship. So there's always the delicate bits of when do I have to put my foot down and prioritize me? And when can I give a little and prioritize us, even though my need isn't being met? So that's always a bit of a personal choice too. Where are you willing to sacrifice? And where are you willing, like, what is your need that absolutely not willing to bend on, which is a personal thing to explore. But then when you're explaining your needs, so things you want to stay away from. So when people explain their needs um, in unhelpful ways, some unhelpful things people do is they talk about what they don't want. They say all the things like, I don't want you to come to my family's house and have a bad attitude. Like that comes off like this blaming statement that your partner has already done something wrong. So do your best to talk about what you do want. Like when we go to my family's house, I I hope that, you know, we can be in cheerful moods and try to make people feel included. When we talk about what we do want, we talk about our dreams, our longings, our wishes, our desire that paves the roadmap for those needs to be fulfilled. So big tip, talk about the behavior you want to see. Don't talk about what you don't want to see. Another tip that is really helpful is talk about yourself describe your own needs and don't describe your partner. So let's imagine, uh, again, I want my partner to be like more like cheerful and in a great mood. I don't want to go in there and be like, you're always in a bad mood. Like you're never, you're never cheerful. Using these always never statements, describing them comes off as criticism. When we criticize someone, a natural response to criticism is for someone to either counterattack, defend themselves or shut down. So you want to be thoughtful in how you deliver that message. So the way that you can do that is describe your feelings, your own needs. So you could say like something like, Hey, in this situation, when we go to my family's house, I feel so excited to be there with them and show them love. And we don't get to see them very often. And so my need is for us to put on our best cheerful face. And even if we don't feel like it to act inclusive and like really jolly when we're there Mm -hmm. and 
that is talking about me, my preferences, not describing my partner. And that's hard to do. Sometimes people feel like, well, then I'm not able to say what I really want to say. And it's like, well, in what you really want to say, you're just criticizing your partner. Yeah. So you have to think about how do you describe you and not describe them? And that's hard work to do, but that helps get your message across. That increases the chances you're going to be heard. If you can stick to describing you, how you feel, what your needs are, staying away from describing them. Um, and yeah, just, just owning that, but talk about that positive recipe. I can't guarantee you they're going to hear you. I mean, just cause I say something doesn't mean my partner is going to listen, but if you, if you're able to talk about yeah, your wishes, your needs, your dreams, your desire in a way that you're talking about you not describing them, it certainly increases the odds that it's going to go well. And so when you say needs versus sacrifice, and this is, it's all unique to your own individual's situation and your relationship how can somebody better figure out for themselves what needs they need to keep for themselves and what are things that they can actually sacrifice because I think many of us have this inner conflict of I I could give this up or you know oh I do need this and they go back and forth and they can't figure it out for themselves what's a way that we can better identify you know I do need this versus okay this is something I can I can give off Yeah, that's a great question. So within like every kind of situation that is difficult, we have some expectation. We have our most core needs to us. These are like the bones of the issue. So in my situation right now, for example, if I think about, I want to think about two things, my core needs and where I'm a bit more flexible. So I'm going to my partner's house uh, with his family for the holiday season. We haven't seen them in three years. Like already my flexibility is I'm going to see his family for the holidays. We haven't seen them in three years. Like that's pretty fair. I go see them, right? So when we go there, we face different challenges. They're not my family. I adore them and have judgments about them because they're not my family, just as he probably has judgments about my family. And so my core needs when we're there is, and this can happen with my family too. Like they're both, both families are um, celebratory people that can celebrate with a lot of drinking. Now, because my brother uh, grew up with alcoholism, I'm very sensitive to when people are drinking and I don't always want to drink. Sometimes I do, but sometimes I don't. And I can get really bent out of shape around drinking. It's very easy for me to be very sensitive. So a core need for me in this, knowing that there's going to be drinking going on and it's probably going to be more than, than makes me feel comfortable. My core need is knowing that I always have the right to say no. My core need is that I always have like an out escape plan And that's not going to make my partner upset. So if, you know, it gets, we've had dinner and everybody's still sitting around drinking that I can go to our our room and read a book. I don't have to be involved. Uh, I also have veto power in a night. So if he's drinking and everybody's continuing, but I'm getting really upset, my core need is I can turn to my partner and, and say to him and request that he stop drinking too. And he joined me in either sobriety or drinking less that night. Um, so those are, those are my core needs that I can have veto power when I'm upset that I can move away and not be part of it that I can stop now. Cause those are the bones of my issue where I'm flexible though, is then you think, so what is the absolute core? What are the bones? So I like to think of like, what are your bones? Like if, like if I'm a human and I have bones in my skin, if you took away my bones, I'd be like a floppy little, I don't know, floppy something jellyfish on the ground. So you want to think, what are your absolutely your core needs in this situation? Then you want to differentiate between what are your flexible needs? 
So a flexible need is often like uh, when something happens, where something happens, how much it happens, if it's temporary or not, um, kind of those maybe ways those core needs could be met. So where am I flexible around this? I mean, yeah, for sure. Maybe sometimes my wish is that there's not drinking enough to be in the situation. That's not realistic. Those aren't our families. This can happen to my family too. And so where am I flexible? I'm flexible that I will go. And I'm flexible that I, I just need the out plan and it can look a number of different ways. I'm flexible that I will go to these events as long as I know that there is an out. I'm flexible and that my partner for the most part can partake unless I'm having a day where I veto it. I'm flexible in recognizing that this is his family that he loves. He adores. He wants to spend time with. He doesn't get to see very often. And I need to be respectful of his relationships with his family and do so in a non-judgmental way. Like I, I have to sit back and recognize like he has his own relationships. He has his own family just because I'm sometimes uncomfortable. That doesn't take away that this is like what his family does. And so that requires deep work and being able to sit back and figure out what are my absolute core needs, my absolute must, because it's really hard to compromise unless you feel safe that your absolute core needs are going to be met. So it requires work to sit down and go, what are my core needs? And it also requires work to sit down and go, where am I flexible? And where a lot of people get stuck is they say, oh, I'm just flexible with everything else. But when you tell your partner you're flexible with everything else, that's actually not very clear. It doesn't give them any sense of like where actually you're flexible. So sit down mm -hmm. and think about that. Like what, where are you flexible? Like what can you give a little bit on to help uh, meet your core needs or ways that they could be met or ways you could meet your partner's core needs? So that's how I kind of think about when I'm in a situation, you can write those two things down, core needs, flexible needs, write them both down and your core needs should be small, less. These are the things that absolutely must be met. And then flexible needs, there should be more options because these are how these happen, where they happen, when they happen, um, the frequency they happen, temporary or not. So really challenge yourself to sit down and write out around the holidays or in any situation, if you're finding yourself differing from your partner, what are your core needs? And what are your flexible needs? Mm -hmm. That's so, so important. And I think I really like how you said there, if you don't do the work, then compromise is not going to happen. And if, you know, if you're not going into these situations, identifying, you know, what do I need to be my best self in this situation? It gets chaotic and you have not only an inner conflict with yourself, but the people around you. And it, it creates it creates tension in those relationships and all around just in these situations. And so going more into, you know, that example with family gatherings and people doing different things and things like that. Often during the holidays, we see people we haven't seen in a long time, or we're around maybe people that aren't our immediate families. What are the best, or we can even just talk about this in general, ways to manage these situations where we have conflicting opinions, there may be drama, there may be tension that arises. In those situations, our immediate reaction is to sometimes react. And, you know, we look back at those situations and we're like, I shouldn't have lashed out. What can we do in those contexts to better manage our emotions and keep things more neutral and not allow them to get heightened? Yeah, it's hard. So everything I'm going to tell you is so much easier said than done. <laughs> And like yeah. there can be resistance to it. So managing your emotions is a practice. Family members are going to trigger you and they're going to trigger you, especially in a way that is unique 
to your family. Like most of us, no one can get a rise out of you, like a parent or a sibling, maybe a parent-in-law, just because they just get you in right, just, just the right ways. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, is to recognize that you cannot control the other people. The other people are going to show up and do them. And like, if you're like a lot of people over the holiday season, maybe other substances are going to be involved. And the other thing to recognize is we have less control over our reactions if a substance is involved. So if you already know things are going to be contentious or tight, maybe you think, oh, I need to have a drink to take the edge off. But remember, the more drinks you have to take the edge off or make it more comfortable, also the decreased control you have over your emotions. And so if you're going into a contentious family dinner or a situation that is, you know, you're prone to lash out. If you look back over your history and you think, was I drinking? If the answer is yes, you actually might want to make sure you're limiting your drinking so that you have more control over your emotional state. Now, if you're not drinking or you're drinking like moderately and reasonably, and maybe drinking hasn't been a factor in family situations, a thing that is important to note is <laughs> our own work to decide how we want to show up. So lashing out, for example, getting into something is a choice. Well, kind of. Sometimes it's a choice. Sometimes it's a reaction. But ultimately, like lashing out, for example, has a benefit. Usually there's a payoff. We feel good temporarily as we lash out. And there is a consequence to that behavior. Lashing out harms relationships. And so we need to sit back as people. And I've had to do this personally. Sit back and be like, well, what is the benefit to me? To behaving that way. Well, I feel temporarily good. I temporarily get a discharge of my emotion, but then my relationships with these other people hurt. And then I have to say sorry for my behavior or my message doesn't get across because I've been a jerk. Well, that sucks. So what are some other ways that I could behave in those moments? So the first step I think about is trying to figure out what other ways could I behave? Because when you, our automatic reactions are automatic. They're unconscious. They happen in a flash. That's what we have access to, especially when our nervous system becomes dysregulated. But these other ways of behaving that might be maybe more helpful or adaptive, they're not natural. You have to think about them and practice them and plan for them. So when you are usually right before we lash out or we can feel something escalating in a moment with family members, we have a choice kind of early on in that escalation or sometimes right before we lash, we have like this split second of clarity where we can make a different choice. And in that, a lot of times it comes to regulating your own nervous system. If your heart rate is over hundred beats per minute, if you've got that tightness in your chest, or maybe your body feels like it's clenching or you feel hot, these are clues that your body doesn't feel okay and needs some regulation. So this could be before you say something, excuse yourself to go to the washroom, go for a walk, calm your nervous system. When our nervous systems are calm, we have much more control over our emotions and we have more choices than over how we behave. You can't outthink your physiology. So if you're sitting there and you're listening to a conversation and your blood is boiling and your heart is beating faster, it doesn't matter how well-regulated of a person you typically are if you're putting yourself in that position because you can't outthink your nervous system. So you need to remove yourself and soothe and calm your nervous system so you have more choices over your behavior. Now, I can be resistant myself to wanting to calm my own nervous system. I'm like, no, I'm fine. I I can handle it, but inevitably my body outdoes, like you can't outthink it. When your heart rate is over hundred beats per minute at rest, your body's going to fight, flight, or freeze. Your ability to take in information is limited. Your ability to respond well is limited. You're much more likely to lash out or shut down. So do your body a favor and take breaks from your family when you need to. 
Yeah. And I think that's very important what you said about that kind of the flip of the switch moment. And what I comes to mind is kind of the snowball effect and deciding if you're going to go down that hill or not go down that hill. And I think often we think that we get more control by speaking up and taking action verbally or physically onto what's bothering us rather than you know it to us in our minds it looks like that's more controlling than sitting back and allowing ourselves to regulate but we have to realize when you're regulating your own nervous system you're actually taking more control of the situation than you think yeah and then you have a choice like when you're regulated you can think hey what is the benefit of me speaking out here what are the consequences of me speaking out here when you're super worked up you can't really think through the pros and cons of doing it you're just like yeah this is this is the right thing to do it feels right so you're like it is right when we're calm we can kind of go through the pros and cons like there's going to be pros and cons with every choice we take if i'm watching my family members and they're like doing something and i've got some opinion about how they're wrong and i speak up yeah i mean there's pros and cons to every action you take and you just want to be thoughtful about what are the pros what are the cons and are you cool with that yeah and, you know, I think establishing that the cons may be different with di- different circumstances. It also depends on the people that you're with, too, how they're going to react yeah. to it. Yeah. Um. And you also mentioned drinking in situations. And I think this is a really important point and topic to touch on, um, especially during the holidays, because alcohol is often heavily consumed during this time. Yeah. And for people that are not big drinkers, this can be especially you know, cause some social anxiety, things like that. You know, you're sitting at a party, everyone's drinking and people might look at you like, you know, you're not, you're not having any fun here for somebody that's in that position. Who's maybe uncomfortable with drinking or is surrounded by people that heavily use alcohol. What would you recommend for these individuals to do or to think to themselves to allow themselves to feel comfortable in those situations? Yeah, it's a hard one. You might not always feel comfortable. Um, And I think this kind of comes back to, if you know you're going to be in this situation, go pause for yourself, do some writing. What are your core needs here in this situation? Is your core need to please your partner? Is your core need to be around family? Is your core need to protect yourself? Depending on what your core needs are, how you behave in these situations are going to be differently. And so let's imagine you're like, absolutely, maybe I'm not a drinker. Maybe I'm in recovery from alcohol. Like this just makes me fearful I'm going to relapse, then your course of action might be to not be there. And there's going to be consequences from that course of action, but maybe that's your choice. Now, maybe you're a few years into recovery, you feel comfortable about it, but you know, you're going to be, you're uncomfortable about it, but you feel pretty confident in your recovery. Well, maybe you go and you have like a a friend that you have set up to call. Maybe you have a plan that you could leave early. Like there's other things you can do. Uh, You just tolerate the distress. Maybe you make some requests of your family members. Doesn't mean people are going to listen, but maybe you, maybe you do request that people drink differently on that night. Who knows? Maybe you has nothing to do with previous past alcohol. You just have some preferences that you don't want to drink, or you do want to drink. Here's the thing for whatever reason, people can be quite pushy about alcohol. Yeah. Saying that you don't want to drink is a perfectly acceptable answer. However, some people don't like your answer. It doesn't mean you have to drink. Now they might have opinions about it. I have been told I am no fun sometimes like that is there are times when I'm fun. There are times when I'm less fun, but I get told I'm not fun. But you know what? Sometimes I'm just not fun. If you want to be around me, that's the consequence. Sometimes I'm not fun. And and that hurts to hear. It hurts from the people that, um, you know, I love that tell me I'm not fun. But like, that's the consequence of being around me. Sometimes, you know what? 
I'm not fun. And I'm okay with that. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, but in my soul, I I would rather be no fun and have hurt things said than to go against my values and what matters to me. Um, and so sometimes like my choice, like my choice is to go be around my family members who will tell me I'm no fun. And I choose that because to me, that is the less worse choice than not going. So you have to choose in your own heart and in your own soul, like what is the less worse choice? And there's certainly some other people that, um, you know, I have friends, like a lot of people in early pregnancy that I've, or recovering alcoholics that I know that don't want to tell people they'll go get like non-alcoholic wine and they'll put it in the cup or they'll grab a beer bottle. That's a colored beer bottle and they'll pour, pour water in it. And that way, no one has to know you can, you can, you can do whatever you want. Like you can, no one has to know what you're up to. You can fake it if you want to, if that's, what's going to help you get through the holiday season. So don't be afraid to go grab some near beer. Don't be afraid to go grab a colored beer bottle, fill it with water. Don't be afraid to tell people you're drinking a vodka soda, but you know, it's just a soda. Like do what you need to do to get through the holiday season in a way that feels comfortable and authentic for you. Yeah. And I think that's very important that deciding, you know, there are consequences and maybe that doesn't make you feel good that people look at you a certain way and that you're not having fun. But in life, there's consequences. And as long as that aligns what you're doing with your needs and your values, and you're sticking to that, then that's your truth. You stick to your truth. Don't go outside of that box. Because when you go outside of that box, it creates more issues long term, and it's just not the right position to be in. And so in those situations, just in general, with social context. We can often be confronted by people during these times, you know, maybe there's something that we haven't discussed in four or five months, and you haven't seen them. And people feel the need to bring things up that might be a touchy subject. And I know for myself, when I've been confronted, I panic and I'm like, I don't like this conversation. And especially if you're in a house, it's not like you can go and like leave if you're with your parents and you know have access to the car. What is the best way to manage those situations so that one, you don't lash out or say something that you might regret or even the other way, get upset? You know, those emotions can get triggered. We can get emotional and then you embarrass yourself and it's not fun. Yeah, it's super not fun. I mean, you may temporarily get upset or do something you regret, but as soon as you catch yourself, be like, excuse yourself, go, go to the bathroom take a pause. I can be guilty of like, when I start crying, people be like, do you need, do you need a second? I'm like, no, I'm fine. Okay. I, I did this just recently in life. Yes. I wasn't fine. I should have been able to be like, yeah, thank you. Let me go to the bathroom. So if someone notices, if you notice you're not okay, or someone is like, Hey, do you want a sec? Like, don't be afraid to take the second and collect your emotions like for a sec. Um, but I think if someone's going to bring something up and you know, that's not the time, and you're like, all right, if you can already see it coming and you're not there, think to yourself ahead of time, preemptively, how do I want to handle this? And then have like a one-liner prepared so that you're you're prepared in your plan and say it to yourself in the mirror first, practice your one-liner so that when you're on the spot and you're totally flustered, you know what you're going to say. So that might be something like, I agree, this is an important conversation. Let's schedule time to ta- have this conversation in January or Um, I know we haven't talked about this. I don't want to do it today. Let's celebrate today. Let's schedule time next week. Or Mm -hmm. like, it is okay to defer the conversation. It is okay to put up that boundary. Now, here's the thing about a boundary that you're setting. You are setting a boundary. That's all you can do. You can say what you're willing to do, what you're not willing to do. 
the receiving person doesn't need to receive your boundary. Like we wish they would. So it is not uncommon. So say I say, say someone comes to me as like, Amber, I want to talk about, I don't know, you didn't come to my baby shower or something. And I'm so mad at you. You're not there. And it's Christmas. I'm with my parents. Like, and I don't want to have this conversation. I could say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm not really prepared to talk about this right now. I really care about you, but can we talk about this a different day? They can say, no, I want to talk about it now. And I can still say, I understand that you do. I'm still not prepared to talk about it right now. They say, no, I want to talk about it. And you can still say, I get it. And I'm not doing it. And so what happens often when we set boundaries, especially if our family members aren't used to us setting boundaries is they will push back against your boundary and they may be upset with you for setting a boundary. Their upset doesn't mean the boundary didn't work. Their upset doesn't mean that you have done something wrong. It just means that they don't like your boundary. And so that, that is hard. Like that's why setting boundaries is so hard. Cause if you're anything like me, like you want your family to love you and be happy with you and have everything go right and nice and smooth. And if someone explains some displays, some displeasure at you, it hurts your feelings and you just want to smooth everything over. Maybe like, that's what I'm like. So yeah, it's really easy to want to give in and, and, and just kind of get into it in that moment. But if you know, what's going to be bad news, like you can adhere to your boundary and that, you know, could cause other consequences. Like maybe they're upset or think that you're mean or don't like your boundary and they're hurt, but you can set the boundary. It is your responsibility to set the boundary of what you're willing to do, what you're not willing to do. You can't make them follow it. So let's imagine the person keeps following me around the house. I can leave. I can go to another room with other people. I go to room, close the door. Like, I don't know. So you have to figure out how do you want to enforce your boundary, but just because you set a boundary doesn't mean people are going to like it. Um, You can always set boundaries gently as well. As opposed yeah. to screaming at someone and being like, get away from me. This isn't the time to do this. Don't you know there's something wrong with you? Like, don't criticize. Try to stay away from criticizing people when you're setting your boundary. Just, you know, I get it. I get you want to talk to me and I can't do this right now. Let's do it such and such time. Yeah. And I think the the tone that you say this in as well is really important. I've often heard from my family to, you know, if things get heated, we say remove the emotion and when you're responsing, because if you give that response when you're setting those boundaries and it comes from an emotional state where your voice heightens, it can come across rude, it makes the other person much more reactive. So when that re- emotion's removed and you stick to your truths, it seems a little bit more controlled and things don't seem to get as difficult. Yeah. And I mean, obviously again, easier said than done. Like if you're setting a boundary, you might feel reactive in that moment. So do the best you can and keep the focus again on describing yourself and your own needs without describing the other people. So even if I'm like, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed and I can't have this conversation right now. That's better than, oh my God, I can't have this conversation. Why are you bringing it up? You're being so nasty. So option, like my tone is the same. But if I'm describing me and my feelings, that's usually going to land better than if I describe you and criticize you. So just do your best to be as regulated as you can. But I mean, we're not perfect people. We're we're emotional beings. We're going to be emotional. We are. And at the same time, try to do your best to talk about yourself, not other people. Yeah, that's so important. 
it's making it more about your issues rather not your issues but what you're feeling rather than putting it on to somebody else because our our initial defense especially when someone targets us personally is to react to it so it it can help migrate those relationships and so I want to move more into parental relationships a little bit here as we wrap things up This is often a time many students who are at university will come home and be with their parents who they haven't been with for four months or however long they've been at school. And it can be extremely challenging for not only the student, but the parent to figure out those dynamics because you're gone from used to living at home and now you don't live at home and now you're at home and your parents still think they can parent you and the kids don't understand how to, you know, to communicate with their parents. What would you suggest or if you have anything to say about this situation that would help alleviate the tension that can come in these situations and, you know, improve their ability to communicate with one another? Yeah, you know, like, I think that's a hard one. And it's a great question. So I'm 36. I went home for two weeks in September. And I fall right back in patterns with my mom. You know, she's making me breakfast. I was trying to do my laundry. She takes my laundry, starts doing it. And like, we're a family. My mom, I've since learned as an adult, my mom's love language is acts of service. As a kid, I was like, she never tells me she loves me, but she's freaking always controlling everything I do. As an adult, I can step back and go, oh, she doesn't do words of affirmation. I don't know if you've heard the five love languages. So we got words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, receiving gifts. And oh, quality time. So I'm as a, as a kid, I used to like misconstrue my mom's motives. As an adult now, I can step step back and go, okay. So you know, I think on some level, it's kind of stepping back and go going, are you forever temporarily your home? Whether it's two weeks, a month, what can you handle? What are you okay with? You know what? I'm okay with my mom making me all my meals, which I wasn't okay with in the past. Actually, (laughs) this was, this would cause a big fight. I will eat today. I will eat whatever she puts in front of me. When I was younger, I would not eat. I didn't think it was healthy enough. So I would not eat what she put in front of me. That would cause huge fights. If she wants to take my laundry out of my hands and do it for me, you know what? Now I see it as great. I didn't have to do my laundry. Excellent. It will arrive done for me. Whereas before this used to really bother me. Um, so I can step back and go, okay, I'm with her for two weeks. How can I look at the situation to tolerate some things that I used to be pissed about? Now, that being said, uh, and, and I'm a psychologist where I would advocate to most people to talk to their family about their expectations. However, in my family, my personal belief, and Hey, it might be wrong is I would rather go with the flow and not talk about my expectations. Because in my family, rightly or wrongly, I don't feel safe to talk about what my expectations are for how the holidays will go. And I would rather eat whatever's going wrong and appease and smooth it out. That is my choice as a human. Now, what I think many other people might not want to make that choice because they have different family systems. And so you want to think about, again, what are your expectations? What do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about something with your parents ahead of time? So actually there has been times like I used to 
I used to have difficulties with eating. This is coming through. So my parents invited me to Hawaii one year for Christmas. And I was terrified to go because I was afraid of all the candy they were going to have on the counter. So I said, I will go only if we cannot have food on the counters. So that was our agreement and arrangement. I set up the expectation ahead of time. It worked out. They adhered to it. We went to Hawaii. So the thing for me was to be really clear about my expectations and see, were they willing to do that for me? Had they said, no, Amber, we're leaving the food on the counters, I wouldn't have gone to Hawaii. So it's about being clear on what your expectations are, asking for them and giving your parents the opportunity to either say, yes, they can do that for you or no, they can't do that for you to say they'll try or to give some other alternate option. If your family says yes, they will do that for you. Great. If your family says no, they're not going to do that for you or whatever your expectation is. You have some choices to make about if you're going to go, if you're not going to go, what you're going to be like when you're there. Now, should you get there and it not be followed through, you have to be prepared to talk about it again or have backup contingency plans um, to handle your situations. So one of the things I always think about is it depends how bad, how bothersome their behavior is. So for me, because the kind of behaviors I'm talking about is my mom makes my food and she does my laundry. Like, you know, those, those behaviors aren't that bothersome. I can probably just eat those for a couple of weeks and, and instead be able to flip that to how nice she's doing these things. But if maybe your parents are like quite verbally abusive or they're lashing out at you all the time, or you constantly feel like you're in trouble, you know, maybe those are behaviors you don't want to eat for two weeks and or a month and you can't live that way. So yeah. you have to evaluate how difficult is the behavior that you're handling. And I think the other thing as well is if you're there for one day, a one day visit back home is much different to manage than a month visit back home. So how usually like we can handle undesirable things if we know it's time limited. So be, having a three day plan is much different than having a two month plan. So when you're going home, also think about, you know, if I'm going home for two weeks, what can I handle in a two week period? That's different than what can I handle in a two month period? But the only way your parents can know your expectations is if you know your expectations and are willing to articulate those expectations, and then you listen to what your parents say about those expectations. And can you guys come up with some sort of agreement about how things are going to be handled? So don't just say your expectations, like listen back. Have they agreed to your expectations? Have they said they can't do your expectations? Have they said they'll try with your expectations? What did they say? When you told them your expectations. Yeah. And I think also in on the topic of expectations, and we were talking about this previously, the needs versus sacrifice. I think it's important with the expectations as um, a child of a parent, you feel that you want to get control over your parents, especially when you've been on your own for a bit and mm -hmm. understanding that you have to sacrifice. There are some sacrifices that you need to make, but also there are expectations that you need to be your best self and be able to manage this environment that you're going to be in. But that sense of control, I think is what's really challenging for people in this situation because they come back and they want to have control. They want to show their parents they're an adult. Yeah. You're always going to be your parents' baby. And it is, it's always an ongoing navigation to reestablish the different phase of your life. You will go from being their baby to hopefully being whatever new relationship that takes on but you might go through an awkward adjustment phase i mean you've just been apart for four months they haven't seen your growth if you've been away at school 
And so you're, you're going to go through some growing pains, like any, like when you're a kid and you go through a growth spurt, you know, maybe your shins hurt for a bit. Same thing's going to happen in real life. If you go through a big, great, big growing leap, you've been away for four months, you grew a whole bunch, and then you just get this brief two week window, your shins are going to hurt. You're going to go through those growing pains. Often growth comes with pain. It doesn't mean that's comfortable or enjoyable or preferable. It's just normal. Yeah. And then it's not a bad thing. It's about, okay, I'm in the next chapter of my life. How am I going to manage this? What what do I need to do to, you know, stay aligned with those needs and those values that I have for myself now? Those are different than they were when I was 15 years old. I'm, you know, things yeah. change as we evolve and experiences and people we get to know. So yeah, it's it it like you said, it's everyone I think has to do the best they can and it's a hard time, but setting, you know, I think the big kind of message we've kind of got through on this episode is identifying what your needs are, what your values are and setting those expectations, but also understanding that there are flexible expectations and that there has to be some wiggle room here and there. Yeah, for sure. And so if anyone's interested to follow you on social media, find your work and stay up to date with your content, where can everyone find you? Yeah. So there's a few places. So my handle, my website is Ember Relationship Psychology. It's confusing. My name is Amber, A-M-B-E-R. My website is Ember, E-M-B-E-R. So yeah, my handle on Instagram is at Ember Relationship Psychology. My website is www.emberrelationshippsychology.com. We've got blog, podcast, free guides, all sorts of things. So go check out all that stuff. And then my podcast is Relationship Psych, the podcast. And you can find that on your favorite podcast app. Just open it up and search Relationship Psych or Amber Dalson and you'll find me. Amazing. Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and a big thank you to Dr. Amber for coming on the show. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to her and I hope you guys gained something from this conversation. Don't forget to leave a rate and review for this podcast. All you have to do is go down, scroll down to the bottom of that page, click the stars, let me know your thoughts and to also check out my socials. Everything is at Balance Factor and I guess I will see you all within the new year in 2023. So I hope you have a great holiday and I will see you soon. Bye guys.